I have made um, some discoveries uh, about parenting. Now that I don't have any children at home, I'm an expert <laughs> on parenting. I've discovered that wise parents give children freedom within parameters. That they are given certain freedoms within boundaries. And that freedom and parameters, freedom and boundaries are conducive to a successful, responsible adult life. And where either is lacking, where either freedom or responsibility is lacking, young people begin to resent, resist, and rebel. You show me a, an adult who is out of control, who feels that he, there are no limits on his life, like the person who said to me one time who was having a hard time holding a job, he, re, he, he resented authority, he said, nobody tells me what to do. You show me an adult who has no limit on his life, has no discipline, and I will show you a young person who grew up without boundaries and without parameters. And a son or a daughter who grows up without a sense of limitation or boundaries or parameters becomes an abrasive and an abusive adult. On the other hand, if I show me an adult who kind of cowers over in the corner, kind of slinks away in the corner and hides, who has insecurity and fear and, and is unsure about himself or herself. Um, and I'll show you a child whose parents made all the decisions. Or you show me an adult who has a rigid, narrow worldview, who, has, who is inflexible, who, who is hard-headed and, and, and strong-headed, and I will show you a child who grew up with the parents making all the decisions. I usually hear most from these. And so people say to me, you know, how can I get out of this oppressive regime? How can I get free from these uh, bondages? You know, parents screwing down on their kids as they move toward independence. So on one hand in the home you have parents who say to the children, Show me some responsibility and I will give you some freedom. And then you hear the kids say, no, you show us some freedom and we'll prove that we're responsible. You show us you trust us and then we'll show you that we're responsible. And it degenerates into a kind of who blinks first kind of thing. I learned a second thing, I think, about parenting as I've gotten older. And that is that much of the time, our lack of liberty granted, liberties granted, reveal our mistakes. And so adults say, now I'm not going to let you make the same mistake I made. No way. And I'm going to make sure, I'm going to put this boundary on you because you're not going to make the same mistake I made. And so youth resent, resist, and rebel. 
Now, I saw you check in your bulletin, and you're saying, now, did he change sermons? I mean, what does this have to do with the guidance of God or how God guides us? Well, it has everything to do with the way God guides. So I want you to go to Genesis chapter 2. The first book in the Bible, chapter 2. Now, let me see if I can set this kind of um, the story here or remind you of what is happening here. I want to... I think from this um, second chapter, there are a couple of facts about freedom and responsibility. Chapter 2 seems to be dealing with God's crown of creation, that is man. And He has created all this that He created and, and created man, the crown of His creation. And He puts him in the garden, does He put, God put man. And beginning at verse 15 of chapter 2, we read this. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, From every tree of the garden you may eat freely. From every tree of the garden you are free to eat. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil... You shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it, you shall surely die. Two things about freedom and responsibility. First is that God gave freedom first. God gave freedom first. I can just see God in the garden, can't you? And He's saying, now Adam, look at all these trees. You can eat of all these trees in the garden. But see that tree right over there? And Adam kind of peers down the Lord's finger and says, now you see that tree over there? You can't eat of that tree. If you eat of that tree, you'll die. And Adam says, now let me be sure now, which one is it? And so he points it out. He says, that tree right there, in the midst of all the trees, that one right there, you cannot eat of that tree or you shall surely die. Now there is no evidence that Adam had been trustworthy. He had not proven himself trustworthy. But God gave freedom first. As a matter of fact, it's interesting that the scriptures say that he, he commanded him to be free. And what he's saying in essence is that, Adam, this is a part of what it means to be human. Woven into the fabric of humanity, what it means to be human is to be free. You are free to eat of every tree in this garden except one. I'm reminded of the parable of the prodigal son. I think without uh, uh, stretching exegesis that we'd could, uh, we could say that the prodigal's father represents God and, and the prodigal represents most of us. And the prodigal went to the father and said, now I know that I have a right to freedom. I want my freedom. And he let him be free. God gave freedom first. Second, that God gives us freedom to live our lives responsibly. He gives us freedom to live responsibly. Stay away from that tree. Don't touch that tree. Resist that tree. Avoid that one. That one you cannot have. He gives us freedom to live responsibly within limits. 
Have you ever noticed that the forbidden tree is always the most luscious looking one? Every time I see a sign it says wet paint, I want to check it and see if it has dried yet. You know what I mean? Touch it. I was coming down early one morning, I was jogging down 6th Street, and I, I, was, I was going along there where Steve Harmon lives. Steve Harmon is a highway patrolman. I, ta- I was kidding Steve about this later, so I mean, this is nothing new. And his car, his patrol car, was parked in front of his house. It was early last spring, it was cold. And it was sitting there idling. And I was coming down 6th, and I had this overwhelming urge to get in that car and drive it off. I mean, I, I just, I wanted to so bad I could taste it. <laughs> and I'm thinking, now I can't do this, but would that be fun or what? <laughs> and I, I, I just wanted to wheel over there, get in that car, and just cut down six with a siren going, you know, and then, then drive it back and park it and just get on back and go jogging. I, I, I wanted to do that so bad. And I told Steve about it. He said, no, he said, you couldn't have gotten in. He said, I had it locked, had another key. It was locked. You couldn't have gotten in. Well, it's a good thing. But I, I really now, why, why is it, why is it that the forbidden fruit is the most luscious looking? I read about a, a story about a man who um, was advertising for a driver of a big truck, truck in a big trucking company like Joe drives these big 18-wheelers. And there were three men who came to apply for this job and the test for the, for the trucking business was that they were to take these 18-wheelers high up in the mountains in this mountain road and there's a little cutout in the road there. And they were to drive past the cutout and then back that 18-wheeler around into that cutout. And there was this cliff dropped hundreds of feet down. And the test was to see who could get the 18-wheeler the closest to the edge. And so the first driver got in and he backed that baby around there and got it within a foot of the edge of that cliff. He thought, man, I, I don't know how they can beat this. The second driver got in and he backed that big 18-wheeler around into that cut in six inches from the edge of the cliff and thought to himself, I've got it made. Nobody will risk any further. The third guy got in and he drove past the cut in the, in the, in the, in the mountain, got out, turned off the key and walked away. And the guy said, wait a minute, didn't you understand that the test is to see who can get it the closest to the edge? He said, man, I'm a, I, I'm a, I'm a husband and a father of two kids. No way am I going to back that truck up against that ledge. You know who got the job, don't you? Man number three. The problem is that most of us want to live on the edge. We're like those two guys that went from Alabama out to North Carolina last week to get into that hurricane. And while those waves were dashing against that beach, they were swimming out in that, that, that waters against all of the uh, warnings, warnings everywhere, don't go, and were caught in that undercurrent and, 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 and were taken out to sea. Most of us want to live on the edge. But these limits within which we are to live are for our benefit and our blessing. You know the rules. And so the question is, why did God do that? Well, the reason why God sets these limits and we're to live within these parameters freely is because He wants us never to lose this inclination of innocency to trust and to depend on Him. God said, stay away, eat. God said, roam the garden responsibly. 
Now, the challenge we face today, and I, as I see it, my humble and accurate opinion, is how to, to live in the modern day both freely and responsibly. That's the challenge. How can I live in freedom and be responsible at the same time? Well, a place to start is to see the boundaries. Now, there are only two forms of the expression in the Bible concerning the will of God. Now, watch this carefully. Anytime you find in the Scriptures the expression, this is the will of God, there are only two uh, ways that that references. That's either, it either refers to the sovereign will of God or it refers to the moral will of God. There are only two expressions of the will of God in the Bible. One has to do with the sovereign will of God. The other has to do with the moral will of God. Now let me tell you what the sovereign will of God is, and I want you to write this down. Every single one of you need to write this down. The sovereign will of God is God's secret plan that determines everything that happens in the universe. It's God's secret plan that determines everything that happens in the universe. Nothing happens outside the sovereign will of God. Now if God is sovereign, that means that He rules over the universe. If He is sovereign, then nothing happens except within His will, sovereign will. Now, we've been familiar, we're familiar with the tragedies that have come in, in, in these last, uh, this, this summer, tragedies of nature. And, and, and you and I um, uh, interface with people daily who are the just first class people who have terrible things happen to them. And we, we talk about, well, it couldn't be, you know, God's will that that happened. Well, um, Whenever we encounter these kinds of things and these questions that, that com are so complex, we need to remember that God is in control and nothing happens to anybody except by the permission of the sovereign will of God. If anything happens in this world outside of his, the scope of His control, that means He's not sovereign. I mean, there's a, you know, a... Uh, uh, a, a molecule that's out of, you know, out of his control? No way. Now, I want you to flip from Genesis to Daniel. Okay? Now let's look at a couple of verses of Scripture that, that, that are um, examples, are, are um, verses concerning the sovereign will of God. The first is in Daniel chapter 4. Now, if you're not familiar with, you know, the Old Testament that much, and most, most of us aren't, it's kind of a halfway book. I mean, it's halfway through the Bible. It's, it's, it didn't sound exactly right. It's, it's halfway, kind of halfway. So it's, you know, Daniel, Jeremiah, you know, right in there, Ezekiel, Daniel, fourth chapter. I'm going to read verse 33, verses 33 through 35. Now here's the story about old Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. He's, he goes up against Almighty God, and you know who loses. Anytime anybody goes up against God, they lose. So here's Nebuchadnezzar, and that's what it says. Immediately the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled, 
And he was driven away from mankind, began eating grass like cattle. And his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. But at the end of that period, now Nebuchadnezzar's giving his personal testimony here. At the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised Him and honored Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion and His kingdom endures from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. But He does, look at this, here's a, here's a pagan king giving his testimony, but He, God, does according to His sovereign will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth, and no one can ward off His hand or say to Him, What hast thou done? I mean, He does what He wants to do. The sovereign will of God. There's a second illustration that's found in the first chapter of the book of Ephesians. So turn over there to the New Testament, Galatians, Ephesians. And I want to read verse 11 of chapter 1. If you're still looking for it, listen to me because we're in a hurry. Also we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to His purpose who works all things after the counsel of His will. And he's talking here about the sovereign will of God. Second form of this term, the will of God. Now this is the one that we're most familiar with. It's the moral will of God. Here's the definition. The moral will of God is God's revealed plan in the Bible that teaches us what we need to believe and how to behave. The revealed will of God in the Bible, not a secret, but revealed will of God in the Bible, that teaches us what we need to believe and how to behave. That's the moral will of God. Don't touch that tree or you'll die. What will of God is that? That's the moral will of God teaching us what we need to know how to behave. Now I want to do some samplings of this. and I've got two or three, but we'll just look at a couple of them. Go back to the fifth book of, in the Bible, Deuteronomy chapter 10. Would you do that right quickly? We'll do a little uh, Bible drill here and see if we can get there first. I beat you. Deuteronomy chapter 20, 10, verse 12. And now Israel... And now, Israel, what does the Lord God require from you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways and love Him, and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. That's the revealed will of God concerning what you are to believe and how you are to behave. There's one more, and we need to look at it. It's 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 1 and following. Stay tuned here. We're going to show you something. Okay, look at this. Finally then, brethren, you got it? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I want you to be able to find it. Look at it. You got it, Jennifer? Finally then, brethren, we request, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do. He's commending them. 
that you may excel still more. I want you to excel in what you're doing. Do better in what you're doing as far as your daily lifestyle. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. Here it is. For this is the will of God. This is the moral will of God. Your sanctification. Now that's a big word. It means to be set apart as a vessel to God. It means to be set apart holy to God. H-O-L-Y, holy. This is the will of God. Listen to me, kids. That each of you abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you know how to possess his own vessel, his own body in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. This is the moral will of God that you abstain from sexual immorality. Now you say, well, that's the way the Bible does. It's just always negative. It's always talking about stuff not to do. No, what he's talking about in 1 Thessalonians, read the context is, develop relationships, develop intimacy, develop closeness, but abstain from sexual intimacy before marriage. That's the will of God. That's the revealed plan of God as to how you and I are to behave. Now, the question then is, how does God guide us in the daily choices? If there is a moral will of God, how does He guide us in the daily choices? I mean, like, should I invest in this investment? Should I make this purchase? Should I take this job? I mean, how do I know what the will of God is concerning these things? How many times have you asked that question? I've been asked that question hundreds of times. How can I know what the will of God is concerning this specific day-by-day -day thing? Well, I'm glad you asked. Well, I'm going to help you find the answer. First question, first thing, does he guide? Yes, he does. He does guide. Now, he doesn't give advice, but he does give guidance. There's a difference. He doesn't say, well, I'd like to advise you on this, but you know, you probably want to make up your own mind whether or not this is right. He doesn't give guidance, uh, advice. He gives guidance. Here is how he does it. Hang on to this. The guidance of God flows from a relationship with God. I wish I, could give you, I wish I could give you some. That's the best I can do. The guidance of God flows from a relationship with God. Now, when we want God's guidance, watch this, when we want God's guidance, guidance where do we focus? We usually focus on some way to determine God's guidance. Where he wants us to focus, if we want God's guidance, is on how I can live for him and how I can love him. For if I develop a relationship of love with him and I'm living for him, out of that relationship flows his guidance. He's not like a genie. You don't come to him and rub him and say, you know, poof, and there's the answer. It's not like that. Most of the questions concerning guidance are misdirected questions. They reflect an impatient demand. Most of us want shortcuts to miracles. Regardless of, we don't care anything about whether or not we have a, 
a, a relationship with Almighty God. We just want ways to know we're doing the right things, making the right choices. So what we want is a shortcut to that. We want some kind of a, a, a mechanical formula. Listen to me carefully. The Bible gives little specific advice concerning techniques of guidance, but very much advice on how to have a relation on, on how to have a relationship with God and maintain it. Now do you say it again? Because I messed that one up big time. <laughs> the Bible doesn't have a whole lot to say about specific techniques on how to find the will of God or find the guidance of God, but it has a lot to say about the way to have and maintain a relationship with God. Few gimmicks, few formulas, no mechanical ways to make a decision, but a lot on how to maintain a relationship with God. For the important thing is, is that you develop a relationship with God, maintain that relationship, and out of that relationship comes His guidance. Now, why doesn't God just come out and tell us, you know, give us some voice from heaven? Would that jeopardize human freedom? You bet it would. That is the very thing that God is avoiding in the garden. And that brings us full circle to this concept of freedom and responsibility is that God puts us in this world and he, He's not so much concerned about that He wants to run our lives like puppets. He just wants us who have full control of our lives to offer them in obedience to Him. That's the way it works. I beseech you therefore, brethren, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. As the King James, it's like your, your reasonable worship. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? In order that you may prove that the will of God is acceptable, good, and perfect. Now what he's saying is this. You give your life totally in obedience to God, and you develop this relationship of love with Him, walking with Him, living with Him, serving Him, and boomerang, out of that relationship comes this guidance of God that's not mechanical and formulized. This is how John MacArthur puts it. Listen to this. The will of God is not primarily a place. You don't go there. The will of God concerns you as a person. Listen to this. If you're the right person, you can follow your desires. I love it. If you're the right person, you can follow your desires. Tozier puts it a little bit more profound. He says it like this. Oh, man, listen to this. The man or woman who is holy and joyously surrendered to Christ... The person who has placed his life in the care of the Creator, that person who is holy and joyously surrendered to Christ, can't make a wrong decision. Any choice will be the right one. I love it. That person who is holy and joyously dedicated to Christ can't, can never make a wrong decision. Everyone will be right. And Augustine, or Augustine, depending on where you went to seminary, Augustine said, just love the Lord your God and do what you please. You know what he's saying? He's saying when you love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, what you please to do will be what, he please, what pleases Him. Right? Now, what does all this mean? Three summary, state, 
three summary statements. I could have said it faster, but I'd have probably spit on Brandy there. What does it mean? Summary statement. Number one, the sovereign will of God, the sovereign will of God, what is that? The secret plan by which God determines what's going to happen in the universe. The sovereign will of God brings security. The knowledge that nothing happens by chance, that there is no such thing as luck, that he will never ever say to the angels in heaven, oh mercy, how'd that get by me? How'd, it, how'd that slip by me? Man, we're gonna, hey boys, get busy. We got work to do. Something slipped past me. He never says that. I have this security in knowing that whatever happens in this universe is within the, in the uh, scope and in the scrutiny of Almighty God. Sovereignty. Number two, the moral will of God gives me responsibility. What God wants from me concerning belief and behavior are clearly indicated in the Bible. I mean, let me tell you something. There's some of these questions you have about what is God's will for me. I mean, don't ask me these questions. Get, they're, they're already there. The moral will of God gives me responsibility. What God wants from me concerning belief and behavior is clearly indicated in the Bible. Number three, the guidance of God gives me liberty. One gives me security, the other gives me responsibility. The guidance of God gives me liberty. Don't miss this statement. We're out of here. The issue is not figuring out God. That's not the issue. The issue is falling in love with Him. Um, I dare say that the person you have fallen in love with, you had not figured out yet. Anybody want to give up, stand up and give a testimony <laughs> on that? person you have fallen in love with, you haven't figured out yet. The issue is not, can I figure this person out? The issue is, I've fallen in love. The issue is not, how can I figure out God and what is His little formula? The issue is, do I love Him? And what is our relationship? And you tell me, what is your relationship with God? And I'll tell you how much guidance you have in your life. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this truth that's before us so real and plain. Thank you for helping us to see it tonight in Jesus' name. Now, there's a will of God concerning you tonight with regard to what you're to do. If you're lost, the will of God is for you to be saved. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. His will is that you repent and come to Him. If you've got sin in your life, his will is, is that you repent of that sin. Okay, I mean, that's, e that's easy to figure that one out. And there may be that you prayed and you sense that God leading you to join this church. Well, that's God's will. And out of your relationship with Him, you've come to that conclusion. Well, don't, don't take that lightly. So we're going to give an invitation for you to make one of these decisions that God's laid on your heart while we stand to sing. We invite you to come.